0: Matthew, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, we actually will go to verse 9 today. Gave you a fake out last week. Today we are in verse 9. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers, let me emphasize that, peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The gospel is not complicated. The gospel is not convoluted. It is not twisted. It is not a Rubik's Cube that we have to try to figure out. It's not a puzzle that we have to put together. It does not take a seminary degree or decades of study. It does not require mountains of books or papers in order to see the gospel. It does not take great intelligence of the mind does not take great emotional depth. You don't have to have a huge IQ or a huge EQ in order to get the gospel. It doesn't require a certain age of years or years of experience. Even a child can understand the gospel. In fact, the gospel is given and Jesus said, except that you come to me with the faith of children, you can't come to me. Children can under, It is so clear, the gospel, that it crosses languages, it crosses cultures, it crosses barriers of time and, it, and traditions. And it does this without being changed. Amen. It does this without change. Across cultures and times and traditions without change. The gospel is the truth of God and it has not been changed over millennia. It is clear. It is not complicated. It is a devastatingly simple message, so simple in its basic precept that children understand it and children do understand it. John 3.16 is the hallmark verse that is taught in Sunday schools and children's churches around the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved us even though we were enemies. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This proves God's love for us. And He sent His Son to die for us so that we might have eternal life with Him. That we might have peace with Him forever. Peace with God. That's that's the price. That's the purchase that Jesus paid His price for. That's what He purchased was peace. The gospel may be simple, but it ain't easy. (laughs) Jesus said that the way that leads to life is hard. Later on in Matthew 5 or 7, actually, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says that um, the the road is narrow and difficult that leads to life. So it's hard, but it's not complicated. It's hard. But it's simple. Stick to the road. Don't stray to the left. Don't stray to the right. That's simple. Do what Jesus said to do. Follow his instructions. That's simple. Anyone can understand that. Keep your eyes on Christ. Don't stray from the road. Don't stray from the way. It's that simple. Just like the message of the concept of the gospel is simple... But hard, you know, some people have a hard time following that because it's a hard road. So is the concept of making peace. Simple concept. So very simple, but difficult. Everyone seems to have a concept of what peace should be. But when it comes to bringing that about, when it comes to actually implementing peacemaking, We are very often very far from the mark. So, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? If you do a study on the word peace in the Bible, you're going to find that it is probably one of the most significant theological terms in all of Scripture. It's got a wide range of nuance in what it means and how it's applied. Um, In the Old Testament, it's often understood to mean the the absence or the, the absence of a threat of war or conflict. There's, it means that there's a, a provision and not famine, that people are at harmony with one another, that there's community, that, pe- that, that there's harmony between God and His creation. Amen. People would greet one another in their culture. They'd greet one another with, with words of peace. They'd greet strangers with peace. They'd say, peace be to you. You see it all over the scriptures in greetings and in, in closings of letters. I greet you with peace. I, I end my letter to you with, with peace. It means, I want what is good for you. I want it to be well with you, and I want things to be well between us. Amen. Amen. Well with you and well between us. That's what peace to you means. But We don't, we don't do that in our culture. We don't, we don't greet each other by throwing peace to one another. We say, hello, how are you? Hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? <laughs> it's weird the way that we do it. So we we feign politeness to say, hi, how are you? We're asking them to tell us something, and half the time it's a lie when they tell us because they don't want to answer the question. Amen. We always say, oh, I'm fine, Amen. when things are anything but and when we ask the question, especially when we ask it of strangers, when we meet them and say, hi, how are you, if we're courteous enough to do that, we don't really want an answer. So we're liars when we ask the question. Because if they really took you up on your, your question and they started to tell you how things really were, you would be thinking, man, I didn't want your life story. I was just being polite. So I, I quite like the way that they do it in the, in the other culture when they, when they cast peace. They say, uh, peace be to you. Because I, I don't have any problem making that an honest gesture. But hi, how are you? I'm just going to be honest with you. I, sometimes I have a difficulty in making that an honest gesture. Amen. Amen. I genuinely do want things to go well for you. And I do want things to be well between us. I don't want there to be hostilities. I want us to be happy together. So I can say with, with all honesty and all sincerity, peace be to you. Amen. But hi, how are you? I mean, that's polite. But if we were to start doing that in our culture, if we were to start going up to people, oh, peace be to you, they'd look at it funny. That's just not how we do things. That's just not how we do things. But I, I, I quite like the way that they do it. Our, our Bible brothers do it. A good, concise Bible definition that is an encompassing definition, but it's concise. I believe it encompasses all the nuances that that peace brings, all the, the things that, you know, the absence of conflict, the of the presence of provision, all that stuff that peace brings into it. A good definition of that would be to say that it is freedom from worry. I'm not I'm not worried about things. I don't have anxiety over things. I'm not worried about where my next meal's coming from. I have peace. I'm not worried about conflict between me and you. I have peace. I'm not worried that someone's going to break into my home and, and batter my family. I, I have peace. I'm not worried that missiles are flying overhead. I have, I have peace. Freedom from worry. It's a simple concept, really, even... For a word that has so many nuanced meanings, everyone understands peace. Even if they only know what peace means because they only understand no peace. They only understand the absence of peace. Deep down, they know that whatever peace is, this can't be it. I've never known peace. But whatever it is, all I've known is this is conflict. I know what conflict is. I know what struggle is. I know what trial is. I know what it is to have to have to work so hard and never get anywhere. I know what it is to worry. I know what it is to 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 be troubled. I know that this can't be peace. That so uh, that we everyone knows what peace is, even if by virtue of not knowing peace, they know what peace isn't. Does that make sense? On. January 12th, I wrote the following note in my uh, Jesus, Joy, and Coffee journal. As a child in kindergarten, I remember that the Beatitudes in Sunday school, we came across this verse. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And I remember deciding that I was going to be a peacemaker. I most likely picked that one because it was the only one that my mind could understand at the time. I didn't know what it meant to be poor in spirit or meek or to be mournful and merciful or any other of the blessed things, but I knew what a peacemaker was, and I believed I could do that. So I decided that the best use of my playground time would be for me and my best friend to go around stopping fights Because in my mind, that was a real mission. It was a tangible mission. Reading through this passage today, that was January 12th, has flooded me with those memories. Childlike obedience. I wanted to do what this Sermon on the Mount said to do. After all, Jesus said it, and I was a Christian, and I wanted to be a good one. And I think that he smiled on me then by giving me something I could do that I could understand. And that's the point. I could understand it. Making peace is not a complicated concept. Little children know the difference between peace and conflict. They know when tensions are high and when tempers are flaring. They know it in the home. They know it in the classroom. They know it on the street. Little children know when there is no peace. And Christ tells us that we have to be makers of peace. In order to do that, we have to strive for what is good for others. We need to pursue their well being. This is not about a challenge to go and find inner peace. He said to be peacemakers. As simple of a concept as peace can be, we are in fact people, are we not? And people do tend to mess things up. We are in a fallen world. That's where we live. Sin has corrupted everything. Even the simple concepts like peace. People may want peace... They may feel like they don't have peace, and so they, they chase it in all sorts of ways. They, they think that the more money that they bring in, that will bring them more peace. The better house they have, that will bring them more peace. More stuff will bring them more peace. More fame, more success, more engagement on social media, that will bring them more peace. Some people think that if they find the right person, then they'll find peace. If they find the right diet, they'll find the right peace. They'll have peace inside if they get their figure just right they'll have peace on the inside people look to the stars for peace they look to philosophy for peace they look to world religions for peace and self-help articles and journals and they do this whole journey to the inner self in order to find peace and you know what that's great whatever that but that's all internal that's all self-centered and it's all selfish it's all me focused And the truth is, the real truth is that none of us can make inner peace for anybody, even ourselves. We can't make it. We can't make only Christ can do that. Only Christ has done that. John 14, 27, he says, My peace, peace I live with you, leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Jesus does not give peace like the world does. His peace is altogether different. His peace is eternal and secure and it's purchased in His own blood. And it sets us at ease with the creator of the universe. So while everyone else is looking inward and exploring their own consciousness and trying to find harmony within themselves as their own gods and some of them looking to the idols of material things to find peace that they seek, Christ stands at the door and he knocks and he says, "Come, Let me come in and I will give you peace. He offers true peace within. Not just comfort for your soul. Not just happiness in your heart. Not not just joy in your heart. He offers us peace with our maker. So Christ has already provided the inner peace that all of us seek. He provided that in himself. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. And no one can go to the Father except by me. That's John 14, 6. So we can't find peace in the world. He said, I, I give you peace. Not like the world gives it. I give. We can't find peace in the world. Peace comes through Jesus. We can't get peace with God except through Christ either. We have peace with God through Jesus. So Christ is our mediator for peace. He is our source for peace. So even when our external circumstances and everything else is chaotic and things are falling down around us and we are facing trials and troubles, nothing looks like it's going right and you wonder, Lord, why? why is all this happening? We have inner peace knowing that Christ has overcome the world knowing that he has secured our standing with the Father and knowing that that we have an everlasting covenant of peace with the Most High God. Like Job, though you slay me, yet I will still trust you because I know that what you want is good for me, that you want peace. I want it to be well for you and I want it to be well between us. That's what God has said to us in Jesus Christ. We cannot have that that inner peace in the midst of all that turmoil outside of ourselves, outside of Christ. We can't have it in ourselves. So when Jesus says to be peacemakers, he can't possibly mean a personal pursuit of inner peace. We cannot make peace like that. He is the only maker of that kind of peace. What he is telling us in Matthew 5 is to make peace with our fellow man. So that we will be seen as children of God, as children of peace, as children of the God of peace. He's telling us that we have to strive hard and labor and make every effort to bring peace to every situation. Amen. Amen. Now, Paul puts it this way in Romans 12:18. He said, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, that's a great qualifier, if you ask me, and we shouldn't ignore it. If possible, so far as it depends on you, that's a big qualifier. But then he says, live peaceably with all. That's a, that's a huge statement. Some of us fall very short of that. We're just too hot-headed. So, you know, Jesus has made some other statements that get, that get confused and twisted. You know, things like when he said, love one another. When he said, judge not lest you be judged. You know, those statements have been twisted in order to mean something that Jesus didn't actually mean. Uh, they've been twisted in order to and used to try to capitulate to and uh, allow and, and embrace all kinds of sin. Even though the clear teachings of Jesus and the apostles are to the contrary. Be peacemakers is the same thing. It is easily misunderstood and misapplied in order to embrace sinful behavior. So here's the thing. Paul said, if possible, so far as it depends on you. So this is telling us that it won't always be possible to achieve peace. Peace attempted is not the same thing as peace achieved. All right? We are called to be peacemakers. We are called to do everything that we can do to try to make peace. But it won't be that we always achieve peace. Even Christ himself did not achieve peace with everyone because not everyone accepted him. Do you see that? And that was the... That, what he did on the cross was eternal just i mean just a historical example look at look at i mean out of the pages of the newspaper today look at israel and palestine how over the decades how many capitulations have they made how many overtures of peace has israel made to palestine they've given up land they've given up property they've given up rights to try to make peace the peace does not come Because the other side doesn't want peace. At least not a peace between them. Well, they want it to be well. I want it to be well for me, but not well between us. They want a peace that doesn't include the existence of Israel. That's not peace. Your overtures of peace won't always work. But as far as it depends on you, Paul says, you must make efforts. You must work to make peace. James 3.17, though, tells us that The wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable. So this gives us some guidance on our efforts for peacemaking. We cannot sacrifice purity for peace. We can't lay down righteousness, holiness in the name of of just getting along. Sometimes we go along in order to get along and, and to the extent that we're able to do that and still be faithful to the Word and still follow God's Word and still be, be Christians, sure, that's great. That's, we, we should get along. We don't want conflict. We don't want to be the source of conflict. But do you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They refused to bow down and worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar even though it would have brought them peace, even though it would have spared their own lives. We, are, we have to uh, maintain the same kind of standards. We cannot compromise righteousness in ways like that. For most of us, though, in this part of the country that we live in, there are very few of us that are facing those kinds of circumstances. Most of us, the, we are free to express our faith and, and worship in, in just in, in about every situation that we're in in ways uh, that are free. We don't have any problem uh, saying Jesus' name. We don't, the government's not coming to get us. Uh, people aren't riding around us. No one's holding a gun to your head telling you that if you do that, you're going to be uh, massacred or I will kill your family. We don't have that problem in this part of the country, at least not right now. Amen. Amen. I, I just attended public school awards and graduation ceremonies where public prayer was offered in the name of Jesus, I mean, that's that's wonderful. So for most of us here, righteousness, purity, and maintaining those standards—that's not a barrier to peace. Our barriers to peace, and this is an indictment on all of us, is selfishness. We we just don't we don't want to overcome pride. We want to be selfish. We want to get what we what we deserve. You've wronged me, and I feel like you owe me something. So it's not a, we're not taking a righteous stand, we're taking a selfish stand. Imagine if Jesus took the righteous stand. They've wronged me and I, they deserve to perish. Imagine that, where would we all be? There are places in this country where they cannot pray in Jesus' name in a public forum. Amen. Amen. There are homes in this country where if you become a Christian you will lose everything. They will disown you. They will expel you from the home or worse. And that's in this country. So there are places where righteousness is a barrier. And that's how we make sense of passages like Matthew 10, 34. I wrestled with this. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 10, 34, Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoso, whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So he says in his first sermon, his first public message, be peacemakers. And then here he says, oh, by the way, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. wisdom of God is first pure, then then peaceable. So there will be conflict by the virtue of the fact that you are a Christian. Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. If they hate you, they hate it. They they don't hate you first, they hate me first. By virtue of the fact that you have principles of righteousness and standards of holiness, they will hate you because they will try to follow the Wisdom of the world, and you try to follow the wisdom of God, which seeks purity first. The world says, No, no, peace first. We want want everyone to get along first, but they don't, they say peace, but they don't, it's not actual peace that they seek, it's peace like Palestine. It's not freedom. From worry, they want compliance. It's not enough for us to say you have a right to live peaceably the way that you want to live in whatever manner that you want to live. It's not enough for us to say you have that right. The only way that the world sees peace is if we embrace not, not their right to do what they want to do and to live how they want to live, but if we embrace the way that they live and celebrate how they live in all of its ungodliness and all of its unrighteousness. So if we lay down purity... In the name of peace. And that's not peace. John 15 verse 18 and 19 says, The world hates you, and know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Isn't that good? But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. There's a great divide between the living and the dead. And that's what's at play between those who are of the world and those who are merely in the world but are of Christ. History has shown these words to be true. Your own experience and observations have shown them to be true. If you believe in righteousness and you stand in righteousness, though you are meek and humble and gentle and peaceable, you will be hated by the world. And so this is an evangelistic call that Jesus is making. Make peace with others. Don't be the cause of conflict or strife or struggle, but bring peace. Peacemakers, hmm, I'm going to say this, peacemakers do not carry crosses and Jesus flags to breach the Capitol because they don't like the results of an election. Amen. Amen. You know, I, I, the images that, of January 6th, are, I don't know if they're burned in your head, they're burned in my head. I just sat there and watched in horror of what went on, uh, just, I cannot believe this is happening. But what is burned so much more deeply are the people who are waving crosses and carrying the name of my Lord while doing it. Are you kidding me? You don't know the Christ that you pretend to serve. Because if you did, you wouldn't have been a part of that. Burned, I cannot this just brought a huge reproach on anyone that carries that name how dare we how dare they and we all have to bear that that reproach now Amen. Amen. It's more than just not being offensive though It's more than than just not being the cause of strife we are called to be uh, disciple-makers of all nations, to bring the lost to Christ. We're called to put good works out there, put them on display so that they will see our good works and glorify God because of our good works. That's what he said. So notice the word peacemaker. It's an active word. This is a verb. I mean, it's a peacemaker is a noun, but maker requires that we do something. There's action involved. We have to be makers of peace. It's an active word, it's not passive. We are to make peace with others. So, that divide that we just talked about between the living and the dead, we've got to cross it because they're not coming to us. We've got to go to them. We've got to cross the divide between the living and the dead. We've got to cross the divide of hatred, we've got to cross the divide of division. When conflict arises, we have to cross the divide. We have to be the ones that go and make peace. Peace, going back to our definition, the freedom from worry, is the basis for relationships. Do you know you cannot build relationships in tension where one party is afraid of another? Whether that be fear for their, their, their physical uh, well-being or their emotional well-being, you, just, you can't build healthy relationships in that kind of environment. When you have to walk on eggshells around certain people, there's no peace there. You can't build bonds, not, not true bonds, not covenant bonds, not the intimacy of being able to confess your faults one to another, not the intimacy of being able to bear one another in love because there's no peace The gospel that we have been given in Jesus Christ is a gospel of peace. That's Ephesians 5.16. He said to put on our feet the the preparation of the gospel of peace so that everywhere we go, we're walking in, in peace. He says that because Jesus Christ has reconciled us to God in himself. We were all enemies of God. We've all wronged him. We've all fallen from righteousness. We've all cheated on him. As a spouse cheats on her husband. We've all gone astray. Amen. Amen. We've all looked to lesser pleasures. And lesser treasures. And we've traded his glory for images. Treasures that, that, that rust and decay. When he's offered us eternal riches. That don't rust and don't decay. He's offered us gold. And we've settled for rusty iron. But Jesus does give us some practical advice in his sermon in Matthew 5 on how to make peace. Matthew 5, 43. He says, You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Now here's the link to peacemakers so that you may be sons of your Father. That's what peacemakers are called, sons of God. Remember that? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And he says, in order to be, he says, so that you may be sons of your Father, love your enemies. How do we go about being called a son of God? By being a a peacemaker. And what does that look like? Jesus tells us here. Number one, it looks like loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. It's hard to hate someone that you're sincerely praying for. I 've tried it, I can tell you. It works. It'll do a work on you. Amen. Someone who has really come up to you and offended you and, and you, you sincerely pray for that person. Yeah. It is hard to be angry at that person. And that, that's how you kill anger in your own I'm just from personal testimony, that's how you kill anger in your own heart. Pray for that person. Mm-hmm. That will kill it so quick. And it, when you are able to kill that, when you're able to kill that tension in your own heart, it, it enables us to overflow in expressions, outward expressions of peace so that we can do the things that require to build that bridge, to cross that divide that they can see, to let our works shine before men that they see them and glorify God. Jesus doesn't leave us hanging there. Again, there's some practical, tangible application. Look at verse 46. He says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? So love is a very big concept. That's kind of nebulous when we talk about love. I mean, it means a whole lot of things. We can come up with all kinds of examples and different situations and scenarios. It's a very broad command, and it's purposefully broad. He doesn't want us to be off the hook. He don't want us to let ourselves off the hook because if he gave us specifics, do this, do this, do this, we let ourselves off the hook because, well, I did that, but in my heart. He says, love your enemies. That's a big concept, you know, big. So we have to love our enemies. But then he does give us something a little bit more surgical in verse 47. He says, now now, let me show you an example of what I mean. Let me show you an example of the extent I want you to go as you walk out your daily life, what this really means. Verse 47, if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing? What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. So he takes it down to something as simple as greetings. Remember we talked about that? Simple as greetings. Just greeting one another. How many times do we avoid people who have caused us pain, who have offended us, Amen. Amen. people who don't, who we don't like because their personalities are abrasive? We avoid them. See them in Walmart, we turn and go down the other aisle. I'm a huge introvert. I do that anyway. It's not just because of people I don't know. I mean, that I don't like. Um, I just I'm not a conversationalist, but I gotta make peace. This is, man, this one worked on me today. Amen. Amen. But how many times do we do that? If we've got if there's if there's tension between me and you, and I see you coming, what do we do? We're gonna do what we can to either put some distance between us. I'm gonna duck into another room. I don't. I'm not gonna make eye contact. Whatever, because it's awkward. It's an awkward situation. How many times do we do that? We avoid the ones with whom we have tension. Maybe we failed in being a peacemaker in the first place. Maybe we're the ones that, that blew up. Maybe, maybe we're the ones that, that failed at making peace in the first place, and so now there's this conflict, and it's awkward every time we see the person. And I know I'm not the only one who feels that, who knows that feeling. Right? All right. Good. At least y'all are being honest this morning. You're in church. Jesus says if you only greet your brothers, that's the only the, the ones that, that are, you hang around with, that you run around with, the ones that you get along with, the, the only ones that, that are already at peace with you. If you only greet the people with whom you are already at peace, then what more have you done than the Gentiles? There's no gospel power in that. The world without Christ can do that. That's what they do. Jesus is saying that making peace means making, capital letters, M-A-K-I-N-G, making peace where there isn't any. We must cross the divide, the schism. We have to go across the divide between whomever it is that we are having conflict with, even and especially the ones that have offended or wronged us or persecute us and call us names. If there's a rift, sometimes the only bridge that we can build is an honest and sincere, straight in the eye, hi, how are you? Sincere. And you know what? They may brush you off. They may be rude to you. They may turn their nose up at you. They may laugh at you for even asking, hi, how are you? You've done your job and you continue to do your job and you continue to extend peace and to try to make peace. That's what we're called to do. That's what Jesus calls us to do because, you know, it may not work all the time because peace takes two. That's the qualifier. As much as it depends on you, But it places lots of responsibility on, on me, doesn't it? As much as peace depends on me, I've got to, as much, do you know how much it depends on me? In any situation where there's conflict, do you know how much peace depends on you? Do you know how much time we spend in conflict just because we won't go and say, hey, let's fix this. Why are peacemakers called the sons of God? It's important to note that the word sons in Matthew 5, 9 is only translated in the masculine as sons in the English Standard Version because the Greek word is often used as a legal term for adoption and inheritance in first century Rome. So there's there's a weight there for sons. The King James translates it as children of God, but that doesn't carry the historical and contextual weight that sons does. Not in terms of our historical concept of inheritance. You know how inheritance passes from father to son and from father to son and throughout the generations. So they translate it as son. Paul even uses the same Greek term for the, to refer to the status of all Christians, both men and women who are adopted into God's family and enjoy all the privileges and the obligations and the rights of inheritance of God's children. And so it, it's also translated as sons. So again, because of the legal weight that sons carries with it from the ancient Greek and Roman context, So when Jesus says sons here, he's not saying, you know, you'll be called men of God. He's not trying to make a distinction between men and women. He's saying that we are adopted. We are inheritors, heirs and joint heirs of God, co-inheritors with Christ. And therefore, we are all male and female sons of God. We all have that inheritance just like a son would. Jesus is not drawing distinctions. Between the genders, he's making a claim of adoption. He's saying, this is who you are. This is who sons of God are. You will be called sons. It's also very important for us to understand that Jesus isn't telling us how to become sons of God. We become sons of God by His grace, through Jesus Christ, faith in Him, and the completed work that He has done on the cross. Galatians 3.26, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. That's the how. How? That's the how. We become sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So what Jesus is telling us in Matthew, instead, He's telling us what sons look like. Sons of God, children of God, are peacemakers. That's what they are. That's why you'll be called sons of God. Because when you stand before God, you will be called peacemakers. When you stand before Him as His Son, He will say to you, you're a peacemaker. So peacemakers are. Their are sons and sons are peacemakers. Like their father. God made peace with his enemies, you and me, even though it cost him dearly. It goes back to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world even though we were enemies. Even though we turned our backs on him and traded his glory for images. He loved us so much that he gave his son for us. Amen. Have you ever stepped back to try to wrap your mind around that one? Put your brain around that for a minute. Son, I've got some enemies. And they hate me. They hate everything I stand for. They've rejected me. But I want peace with them. I love them. And I want what is well for them. And I want it to be well between us. So I want you to go to them, son. They're going to hate you too because I sent you. If you do this, there can be peace between us. They're going to reject you. They're going to beat you. They're going to mock you and spit on you. They're even going to kill you. Amen. But if you do this, my enemies will become my sons and there will be peace. Imagine the links that God went to secure your peace. And the lengths that Christ went to secure your peace. He crossed a great divide for us to make peace between us and God. Sons look like their father. I think that when we read this beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We we let that roll off the tongue a little too easily. We don't consider what it means. We don't consider what it cost God to make peace with us. And what that means for us as sons of God to be peacemakers. This is no small task that Christ has called us to. And if any of you know, if you've ever been in any conflict with another person, interpersonal conflict, you know this is no small task. There's so much pride and so much selfishness to kill in order to make peace. This is not a checkbox on a list of optional traits, though. The sons of God are Peacemakers, as much as lies within us, if at all possible, pursue peace. And that is so contrary to the way of the world. The way that we want to do things apart from Christ is to just blow up. Apart from Christ, we want to stand our ground. You know, don't let anybody disrespect you. You've got to stand up for yourselves. And Jesus says to lay it down for peace. It's going to mean killing pride and addressing selfishness. It's going to mean loving your enemies and crossing that uncomfortable divide in order to say, I want what is well for you, and I want what is well between us. And that will not happen in your life apart from Christ. Jesus said in John sixteen thirty three, I have said these things to you that in me, in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. It is Christ who gives us peace within. And the strength and the courage to live at peace with others and to make peace with others. To be peacemakers as much as lies within us. And I would pray this morning that we'd all have one of those come to Jesus meetings. This was a hard one for me as I looked at how often I fail at being a peacemaker. And I just puff up in pride and let let that get the best of me and selfishness. And I I want them to know. I I have had some successes, Don't, don't get me wrong. But man, the failures. I want to be called a son of God. I want people to see me as a son of peace and as a son of God. I want them to look and say, that is so different. That's so different. I want what he has, even when they're being rude to me. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You are good and glorious. And your gospel is a gospel of peace. God, I ask you now that you would let it rest on our hearts and burn in our minds that we are to be makers of peace. We get our peace from you. And because it is eternal and it is secure, Lord, we don't have to have fear of offering peace to others. We know that we have an eternal reward in you. And there is no fear. There is no doubt in that. Father, we love you and we thank you and we ask that you protect us as we go our separate ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.